1: Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Um, so my my uh, my parents split when I was when I was young, and my mom moved us boys back out to California, where she was from. Um, my dad stayed behind in uh, in New York, where I was born, and so every summer I'd fly back to Brooklyn to spend the summer with my dad. Um, my dad remarried, uh, 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 and he married a woman from, who came from the, the Satmer Hasidic community, so that was the, that was the community I, I summered in, summers with Satmer, <laughs> and, um, and that became my primary exposure to, to Judaism. I, I spent most of the week inside my father's house playing video games or in the backyard smacking a, a wiffle ball around. It was, it was hard to make friends in the neighborhood. The kids spoke Yiddish, and they, and they were suspicious of outsiders. But on Shabbos, we went to shul. And it was a big production, and my uh, showers and putting on suits, and, um, and if you were ready in time, you got a, a piece of potato kugel. Um, you had to make sure to eat it like this so you didn't get the ketchup on your, on your suit. Um, my dad wore his hat and a gartel, um, and we all wore uh, black suits and white shirts. Um, and I remember this moment so clearly, all the, all the men and boys in the house, my dad and my brothers, getting up to go to shul. And I remember as we walked out the door turning and looking at my stepmom and my stepsister sitting on the couch in housecoats uh, chatting. Maybe they, they give us a wave, see you when you get back. Um, and I was so jealous of them. I mean, <laughs> never mind that they've been cooking and cleaning all day. I wasn't really tuned into the gender politics back then, but, um, but I was jealous because I didn't want to go to shul. Um, uh, shul was a locus of tremendous anxiety for me. I, I stuck out. I could feel everyone staring at me. My father was deaf, so I felt like we stuck out even more. And I was worried that someone would talk to me and ask me a question, hear my, my accent, that, that California draw, and, um, <laughs> and know that something was off. This, this guy doesn't belong here. And worst of all, my father had very kindly given me a nice little art scroll siddur with English translation because I didn't know any Hebrew. But this was not the kind of shul where they had books with English translation. So I felt like my art scroll was like a, like a beacon, like a neon light. Like, look at me. I don't know anything. Where did I come from? I must be trafe. I don't even know how to pray. I just, I couldn't. I couldn't take it, the the embarrassment. So I decided I had to learn Hebrew, but not really learn Hebrew, just learn the alphabet, the aleph base, which I did. I went over it again and again, and and the vowels, ah, bah, gah, duh, until I recognized the letters and their sounds. And then one day I decided I was ready. With a lot of fear and a lot of pride, I told my father, no, 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 I don't need the art scroll." And I went to shul, and I went to the bookshelf, and I pulled out a, a sidur. I had to sound out the letter sidur, and I began a new prayer practice. I would open the sidur and then sort of surreptitiously look around the table to see what page someone was at, and I would, I would open there, and then I would try my best uh, to listen to the sounds of people around me davening. There's no chazan in that kind of shul. It's mostly just a buzz of mumbled prayers. And the shleach tzibor only signals where he's at every, every once in a while. But I would listen for it, and I would try to figure out where we were in the book. It was not easy. But then when I located it, I would spend the rest of the service desperately alert, trying to keep up with my finger on the line, and I would move that finger through the prayers. Not really mouthing the exact words, but pretending to. It's easy to, to imitate that, that mumble. And, um, and most of all, I was just trying my best for an hour or two to look like I knew what I was doing, to look like this was the most natural thing in the world for me, when in fact this was the most unnatural thing in the world for me. Okay, now here's my question. Was I praying... Back then, when I was like hyper-focused on every letter, but I had no idea what I was saying. When I would stand up, sit down, bow, answer, amen, a millisecond after everybody else did. But I had no idea why I was doing any of this. When I had no concept of of God that I was talking, no concept of of God at all, but really was instead just painfully concerned with how I looked to other people. If I was praying for anything at all, it was for these people to be—I don't know—somewhere between impressed with me and not to notice me at all. Was I praying? Was that Jewish prayer? It's a good. It's a good. Uh, it's a good, thank you for that. It's a good week to talk about uh, prayer. Parshat uh, Vaet Vaetchanan is is a big opening in our tradition. For a prayer discussion. It begins with a prayer word, and I pleaded with God, says says Moshe. I pleaded with God, let me cross over, please, and see the good land across the Jordan. This is the thing that, that Moshe must have wanted most after 40 years of leading these people through the desert. But for one angry outburst, he was punished with having to take them right up to the edge, but not crossing over himself. It seems so unfair to us, to the readers, and and how much more agonizing to Moshe himself. So he pleaded, va'etchanan, an unusual word for prayer, which is related to the word for grace, chen. So he was begging for God to to have some compassion, to show him some grace, and just, just let him in. So with this dramatic opening of, Moshe naming his own desperate prayer, our sages take the opportunity to reflect on, on all the laws of prayer. And with that unusual word, they take the opportunity to, to, to offer us all the, the words that we have for prayer in this tradition, to list them. And we have many. Rashi, quoting the Sifrei, the Midrash, tells us that Ve'etchanan is echad me'asara lishonot Shnikret one of ten languages that we use for prayer. Now, if we have ten words for prayer, that means we've thought a lot about prayer, and we have different kinds of prayer that we can name. If you go and you look it up in the Midrash, they, they list the ten, and each one, of us, each one of them gives us a sense of a particular kind of prayer, a distinct prayer modality. So the first there's there's Shavat Naka. The first three are crying out, screaming, moaning. They're, they're heavy ones, and they are all from the beginning of Exodus. The Israelites were were groaning under the bondage, and they they screamed out, Vayizaku, and their cries went up to God, Vatal Shavatam, and God heard their moans, Nakatam. So there's there's the prayer of misery. The prayer of suffering, and then there's the happiest word on the list, "Rina," which means joy, but also song, Right, that's our that's our Friday night uh, prayer, the prayer prayer of gratitude, prayer of, of jubilation. And there are there I'm not going to list them all for you here, but goes on and on. And the tenth is byatchanan, pleading, tahanuni. Now, was I hitting any of those emotional notes during my, my days of sounding out Hebrew letters pretending to be from? No, I was not. But what about you? Did they, did they sound familiar to you? Because here we all are. We come here every week to shul to pray together. So what, what was it for you this morning? Was it screaming? Moaning, falling on your face? Were you pleading for something? But then, do we really come here to pray? I mean, is that what you're thinking when you get up on Saturday morning? Oh, I need to go pray with my people. I'm a praying person. I pray to God. Or is it more like the wisdom uh, in the old joke about the atheist who comes to shul every week and sits next to Ginsburg? You know that that one? And when they ask him, why, why are you here every week? You're an atheist. Why do you even come to shul? He says... Ginsburg comes to Shul to talk to God, and I come to Shul to talk to Ginsburg. <laughs> In other words, we all come here for different reasons, and they're not all prayer reasons. We come here to be together, to see our community, to gather. That's why they call it a Beit Knesset, a house of gathering. And yeah, there's some prayers going on, but you know, what's new with you, Ginsburg? Um, so I, 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 I have to say that for that reason, for a long time, I felt like one of the great mistakes in American Jewish life was was that we organized our major communal gatherings around prayer of all things. Prayer? We should really get together for Torah study, I thought. That's, that's what I like best. For meals, right? That's a crowd pleaser. Rituals are mysterious and interesting. Everyone, but but prayer, prayer is tricky. Prayer is hard. And Jewish prayer, I must say, is particularly hard. You know, you walk you walk in the door and you're handed a book, a big, thick, heavy book, and you're supposed to hold that aloft for two hours and mumble your way through, reciting psalm after psalm, trying to keep up in a language you don't know or don't know well enough to bring your full intention to as you race through the prayer book. Stand up, sit down, turn the page. Stand up, sit down, turn the page. And I've been doing exactly that since I was a boy. And then uh, at a certain point, I just sort of gave up on the project. You know, I just thought, okay, this does not work for me. I am not a prayer person. I'm a Torah person. And that's fine, you know? And I still come to shul because I want to be religious. I I believe I'm obligated. And because I I want to see, see people, I want to see Ginsburg. But it was really just a matter of going through the motions, the very laborious motions. And then I have to say, my prayer life changed dramatically over the course of the pandemic. You know, at first it was just the stark reality of being all alone and praying all alone for all of my prayers, which I had never done before. That was new. And then I began to realize, more than ever before, that I had things to pray for. I was afraid of what was going on. I'd never been through anything like this. I was afraid that my my parents were going to get sick and die. And I was aware that sickness was all around me and I was powerless to do anything about it. Except that I had this habit of praying three times a day. Mindlessly, by rote, but it was a practice. So I started praying for healing. I'd always prayed for healing, you know, because it's in the book. But now I was praying in earnest. And I'm a rabbi in a community, so I would talk to lots of people on the phone, and they were scared, and we would pray together. I prayed with a lot of you. And I kept the names of sick people in my prayers, and I moaned, and I groaned, and I cried out to God. And then we started to come back into prayer space together and for the first time in a long time i was excited for a minion to pray with other people itself was a joyous occasion to sing together all masked up but nevertheless that that kol rina, that voice of joyous song was such a gift and i got it in a way that i never had before so okay now i'm a little better at praying in extreme situations, in the the foxhole, so to speak, at moments of great calamity or at moments of great joy. But in the day-to-day, as we begin to get back to some of our normal rhythms, I have to admit, I, I still really haven't solved the prayer problem. And at the core of that problem is a question, a question that all of the languages for prayer are trying to get at, which is, What am I supposed to be feeling? What experience am I searching for here? What is prayer, really? Is is this it? I'm always asking myself. And I think when we ask questions like that, one of the great resources that we have to turn to in our tradition is Hasidus, Hasidic literature. The Hasidic movement that erupted in Europe in the 18th century brought all kinds of new energy into Jewish spirituality, but one of their great concerns from the start was prayer. And partially because the Jewish religious elite at the time was really centered in the yeshiva, was all about study, and prayer was an afterthought. And Hasidists came along and said, no, we have to put as much energy into tefillah as we do into Torah. So Hasidic writing is is a treasure chest of insights into the practice of prayer, with all its difficulties, highs highs and lows. So here we are in Parshat vetchanan and our rabbis are listing these various laws and languages of prayer, and I wanted to go and see what did the Hasidim have to say about it. You know, I, gr- I grew up with Hasidim, but I, I never really talked to them. But I, I've gotten to know them a little better as an adult through their books. And this year, I've been spending a lot of time with the great Svasemes, Rebbe Yuda Arya Alter, who was the Rebbe of Ger, a a later Hasidic thinker. He lived even into the beginning of the 20th century, and he was certainly one of the great masters. I think I've said here before, he was a brilliant scholar, very learned, and a very precise reader of texts, but with a poet's feel for language. And he has a gift for bringing out the, the subtleties and the nuances in every single word. So, I was dying to know what would he have to say about all of these these words for prayer. Maybe he could help me get to the bottom of it. I I don't know if he did that, but but what he said surprised me. He begins by quoting Rashi, Asara L'Shonot, there are 10 languages, 10 words for prayer, and then he says, Hem These are all just pathways and strategies to come into prayer. Because prayer itself is not encompassed by any of these languages. What? Prayer, he seems to be saying, true prayer is not any of these ten things. So what are these languages? Hachanot litfila, hem The languages are describing hachanot preparations for prayer. And a person prepares themselves for prayer by screaming out or crying or singing. These are different prayer modalities, but this is all just preparation. Preparation for, for what though? What is prayer? He never really says. But he wants us to know that the preparation is also important. Tachin <laughs> libam, prepare your hearts, he keeps saying. You need to prepare your hearts, and then you will come into prayer. And I think what he's trying to tell us is that real prayer is an experience beyond words. Khal <laughs> It isn't in the category of language at all. We have lots of words for prayer in this tradition, and that means we've thought a lot about it. We have nuance, we have perspectives, we have different ways of speaking about prayer. But it also means that we don't have any one word for it. You know, we also have lots of different words for God in this tradition, many more than ten. And yet, of course, we we don't know what God is. In fact, we believe that God is beyond words, beyond all description. So why wouldn't communicating with God also be beyond all description? So what are we doing here? We are preparing ourselves. And I think maybe all those years ago, breaking my teeth on the Hebrew alphabet, faking my way through a service that meant nothing to me maybe even then i was preparing myself i was preparing myself for a time when i would need prayer i was preparing myself for for when my father died and i had to recite kaddish and the languages on my tongue i was preparing myself for a global pandemic when i had to pray that i wouldn't lose any other parents right i've been preparing myself my whole life to pray and for all that have i ever really experienced any moment of true prayer i don't know i'm not sure but maybe that's okay maybe the preparation is the point maybe even moshe as he looked across the jordan at that last horizon And pleaded with god maybe even then he was still preparing himself still readying himself for for one one final encounter one last revelation and so maybe that's what we're doing here also we're preparing ourselves preparing our hearts for some encounter some experience that we don't really understand that we can't fully articulate but we're getting our hearts ready for it we're practicing And if that's true, I am grateful to have this Beit Knesset, this house of gathering, and you, my people, to practice the ancient art of Jewish prayer with. Shabbat shalom.